most of the scriptures that we will be looking at today are going to be up on the screen, and we're talking about the voice of God. I'd like to read to you from Exodus 33, verse 11. There's no need to turn there. And just see what this does in your heart and in your spirit. It says there, the Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. And then Moses would return to the camp. That really resonates with something very deep inside of me. It's, it stirs something inside of me, the idea that God could be Moses' friend and that they could speak face to face. And then in John's Gospel, chapter 15, verses 15, it says, I no longer call you servants. This is Jesus speaking. He says, I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. And I'm sure that for you as well, just as for me, there is something that stirs deep inside. And maybe there's a hope that starts to rise in your heart where you think, I wonder if it really is possible that I could be a friend of God and that I could relate to him the way I relate to other friends of mine or maybe to your spouse. Is it possible that, that he could talk to me and that I could talk to him? And that's what we're going to be looking at today if you could change to the next slide. I'd like to try and answer those three questions and I think in the process of doing so it'll become evident that God does speak today because I think that's something that we all question and we wonder about. Does God really speak to people today? And maybe sometimes you've felt frustration or disappointment with God because other people have said, well, God told me to do X, Y, and Z, and this is what I did, and it worked. And you think, oh, I just wish that God would speak to me like that, that he would really want to, to take the time to reveal his heart to me. And so we'll be answering those questions. Why does God speak? And how do we hear? And then how does he speak to us? Let's take the first one. Why does God speak? The first reason, and this is a, you might find this a little bit strange, the first reason why God speaks to us is because he wants to know you. In Matthew 7, verses 21 to 23, there it is there. Jesus is painting a very vivid and sobering picture of the day of judgment. And this has always perplexed me, especially that bit at the end. The reason why Jesus consigns certain people to hell is because he says, I never knew you. And what's that all about? I never knew you. Surely Jesus knows everything. What does it mean when Jesus says to somebody, I never knew you? Is it possible that Jesus could know everything there is to know about somebody without actually knowing them? And I think it is. Because what Jesus is referring to here is to a deeply intimate, personal, reciprocal relationship. When he says, I never knew you, it's, it's not that I don't know things about you. In fact, that I don't know everything about you. It's that we weren't in a relationship together. We didn't get to know each other. And that verb there, to know, is used in some places in the Bible for sexual relations. 
That's how intimate and how close it is. Do you remember the part in, in um, Genesis where it says that Adam knew Eve and she gave birth? So that's the kind of level of intimacy and openness. Now, if God is sending people to hell based on whether he knew them or not, doesn't that imply that the whole reason why he created you was so that he could enjoy an intimate two-way relationship with you? Doesn't the fact that he says, I never knew you, past tense, imply that this relationship begins whilst we were on earth? It, it starts now. He wants to know us now. So Jesus wants to know you, and he wants to start knowing you now before you die on earth in an intimate two-way relationship. And how on earth could that happen, folks, if there isn't communication? Because intimate relationship presupposes communication. It would just be inconceivable for me to know Gail in an intimate way without communicating with her. And that's why God speaks to us, because Jesus wants to know us. We were created to know God and to be known by him. When I think of my own children, I didn't have children because I wanted slaves or servants or minions. Sometimes they would accuse me of that, um, and I'm sure we all know that, that it sometimes feels like that for children, but that's part of raising them up. But no, I, I I, Gail and I decided to have children because we wanted to increase our family. We wanted to enjoy an intimate relationship with our kids. We wanted to share fun things with them. We wanted to do things with them. The one time when we went to, to Zanzibar together on our family adventure, for me it was a culmination of just so many things, of spending time together on the train, um, playing cards, seeing things together, experiencing life, doing life together. That's the reason why God created us. He didn't want slaves, he wanted friends, he wanted children. That's why he uses that analogy in the Bible. And of course it's essential for God to reveal himself to us in a language that we can understand because he's in a completely different category to us. Remember we talked about this two or three weeks ago when, when we were talking about the Bible. He's infinite and we are bound by space and time. He is a spirit and for the moment we are confined to a body so that we can't see him face to face. But the Bible says one day we will be like him. And so we will see him face to face. There will be something that changes in us so that we will be able to see him as a spirit being. And so for the moment, God needs to reveal himself to us. And that's not the only reason why we need God to disclose himself to us. Um, it's because he has a different take on things to the take that you have. The way that you deal with things, and that seems intuitive to you, could actually be very different to the way that God wants to do it. And we, we talked about that two or three weeks ago as well. There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way to death. What did he say in Isaiah 55? Through the prophet Isaiah, he said, my thoughts are not your thoughts, and neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. And that's why, on a day-to-day -day basis, we need to be hearing from God so that we can find out what his thoughts are. Father God, what are, what are your thoughts on this matter? What do you think about this? 
How do you want me to behave? What do you want me to do so that I can do it in such a way that I carry the family likeness and display your glory to people who can't see you? So that's the first reason, is that God wants to know you. That's the reason why he speaks today. That's why it's so important for him to have a voice and for us to hear his voice, because he wants to know us. He wants to be in that two-way relationship. The second reason is that Jesus' words bring life. Remember, once again, in the first sermon of this series, we had a look at those words of Isaiah in Isaiah 55, verses 10 to 11. And what we learned from that is that God's words are like rain falling on the earth. And when we think of rain falling on the earth, it just brings life. The the world is going to die without water. We are going to die if we don't have the water of God's words falling on us. We need his words because they bring life. You like some more evidence? Remember when Jesus was being tempted by the devil? He quoted from Deuteronomy 8, verse 3, and this is what he said. Man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. What is he saying there? He's saying that for you to live as a human being, you need to have a staple food, physical food, to keep your physical body going, and you also need words to sustain and to nourish your spiritual being. And he says, man shall not live by bread alone, but on every word that comes or proceeds is another translation. When you look at the tense in the Greek, it's in the present tense, and whenever that happens in the Greek, it means that it's something that is ongoing. It goes on and on. So there are words proceeding from the mouth of God all the time, all the time, and we need to hear those words today. Not the words that he spoke maybe last week, but the words that he has for us today. Just in the same way as a banana that I ate 10 days ago is not nourishing me now. I need to eat another banana today if I want the potassium that's inside the banana. I'm so clever, I know about potassium and bananas. So we ask that question, does God want to speak to us today? Of course he does. He speaks words of life to your everyday life. His words are a constant, steady flow. If you need encouragement, if you need peace, if you need some correction, God's word is going to bring it to you. And he can speak the exact words that you need right now so that you can experience encouragement and peace. So that those things will not just flood your mind, but your entire being. And this is so important because sometimes we can be sitting in a very frightening situation and we can know that God is our protector in our minds, but we still don't feel the peace and the confidence to trust him in the midst of that situation. That's when we're saying, Father God, I need your word to be spoken in a way that touches my entire being so that I can experience your peace. After all, you said, my peace I give to you. In this world, you will have trouble, but in me, you will find peace. And so we need him to speak. So Jesus uses that metaphor of bread to show that life is sustained by a staple diet of God's food, God's word. But he also uses the metaphor of a shepherd. And this is, folks, this is just building up some evidence 
Not because I need to prove anything, but because as we look at the word of God and what it says, it starts to stir up faith in our hearts. And we appropriate things through faith and belief. So I'm hoping that that's what this is gonna do. Come Holy Spirit, stir up the faith as we hear. So the metaphor of a shepherd, John 10 verses one to five. I think that should be the next one. Uh, Keep going, yes. So, Jesus says, I tell you the truth, the man who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in by some other way, is a thief and a robber. The man who enters by the gate is the shepherd of his sheep. The watchman opens the gate for him, pay attention, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name, and he leads them out. What's he doing? He's leading them out to go and find water and something to eat. Uh, Next slide. When he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. This is referring to the fact that in Israel at the time, often a number of shepherds would put all of their sheep together in a safe place. They'd maybe wall off the end of a gully or up against a, a cliff, they would create a safe environment, stone walls with um, thorns on top. But the amazing thing was that each shepherd could come and he could call his sheep and they would come out, the other sheep would stay inside. So that's, what, that's the analogy that he's referring to. Let's reflect on this for a moment. Things don't go very well for sheep when they don't have a shepherd. In fact, Sheep are happiest when they have a shepherd to take care of them. When a sheep has a good shepherd, it has everything that it needs to, th- to survive and to thrive. The shepherd protects the sheep from predators. He leads them to water and green pastures. And what's the key to all of this? We saw it in those verses. It's listening to and following the shepherd's voice. And it's number two, recognizing his voice so that they aren't led astray by the voice of a thief or a false shepherd who doesn't have their best interests at heart. Is this an ongoing thing? Of course it is. It's a daily experience for sheep. They recognize the shepherd's voice, they follow the shepherd, and then things go well for them. They have food and water. So God's created order This is what Jesus is telling us through this metaphor. His created order in in his relationship with men requires them to be like sheep relating to a shepherd. If you follow another shepherd or if you run away to do things your own way, then life's not gonna go well for you. What did the prophet Isaiah say? He said, we all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to go his own way. And then this is so significant. And the Lord God laid on him, referring to Jesus, the iniquity of us all. So what was the iniquity for which Jesus was punished on the cross? The fact that we were like sheep who went astray. Turning to do things our own way, thinking if I do it my way, if I do this my way, then it'll be okay. But that just leads to disaster and ultimately it required God to send Jesus to die on the cross. So God speaks to us today. Why? Because he wants to know you. 
And that, that to me is just the most wonderful thing. <laughs> you know, when you just stop and think that the creator of the universe wants to know you. He wants to communicate with you and he wants to hear from you. He wants to tell you things. And then his words are essential to life because they're like daily bread, like a staple food that keeps us going. So let's move on to the next question. How does one hear? Let me just begin by encouraging you with two facts. First fact, if you are a believer, you have already heard God's voice through Jesus. And we're gonna have a look at the evidence for this shortly. That's the first thing. If you're a believer, you've already heard. Second of all, and since you've been adopted into God's family, you're able to hear God's voice on an ongoing basis. It's not as if we don't have the makeup to hear God's voice. No, we've been created in such a way to hear it. So let's have a look at the first. You've already heard God's voice through Jesus. Let's go on to the next slide, verse 24. This comes from John. He says, I tell you the truth, this is Jesus speaking, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be condemned. And then he emphasizes this. He's crossed over from death to life. Notice that he keeps saying, I tell you the truth, I tell you the truth. Reason why he's doing that is because he wants to underline what he's about to say. Pay attention is what he's saying. I tell you the truth, a time is coming and has now come when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. What's the first thing that you need to do so that you can have eternal life? Whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. So you wouldn't have eternal life today. You wouldn't be a member of God's family if you hadn't heard his word and believed. Then what is it that causes the dead to have life? Do you see it there at the bottom? It's hearing the voice of Jesus. At one time, every one of us was spiritually dead and unresponsive to God. It would be like me walking into a mortuary and there being a corpse on the table with a little label on its toe. That corpse is not gonna have any interaction with me because it's dead. He or she is dead. When we were dead to God, there was no interaction between us. He couldn't know us in the way that he wanted to know us because we were spiritually dead to him. But it's by hearing the voice of the Son of God that we were brought alive. So if you're a Christian today, and this is good news, you've already heard the voice of God. You can't sit here and say, oh, you know, God never speaks to me. He's already spoken. Let's have a look now to see about how you will continue to hear God's voice. How do we know this? Is there any evidence to support the claim? We'll look at the next verse, uh, the next verse that's up on the slide. He who belongs to God hears what God says. What's distinctive of someone who belongs to God? He hears what God says. It's not that he once heard or he will hear, he hears. This is a, a distinctive of somebody who knows God and belongs to God. Let's go back to the, to the sheep and shepherd metaphor because further on down, I haven't got it up here, uh, when Jesus was explaining the metaphor further, he tells us that he obviously is the good shepherd, so the shepherd is a type of him. And in verse four, we learn that we should follow Jesus because we have been wired to know his voice. The sheep follow him because they know his voice. 
Do you know that you, your entire being has been set up in such a way that you can enjoy a relationship with God? I think sometimes we don't believe this. I know I, know I struggle to believe it. Have a look at the next verse. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. But of course the curious thing is that Jesus has left and he's gone back to heaven. So that's why we, we have this next scripture here. If you could put up the next slide. But I, Jesus, tell you the truth. It is for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the counselor will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. I have much more to say to you. Jesus got much more to say to you guys. And more than you can bear at the moment. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will bring glory to me by taking from what is mine and making it known to you. What does the spirit of truth do? He tells. He guides. He speaks. Next verse. Those who are led by the spirit of God are sons of God. Now someone says, okay, Ian, you're telling me that I, I couldn't be a Christian without having heard God's voice and having believed it, and that as a Christian I continue to hear God's voice through the Holy Spirit. But you know, sometimes it just seems like I don't get to hear the voice of God. Maybe you compared yourself to other people and it seems like God speaks to them a whole lot more. Well, just now I said that we are wired and configured to hear God's voice as a child of his. But it often doesn't feel like that. And I sometimes feel like that as well. You might think, oh, well, he's the pastor, you know, he gets a special line of communication to God. It's, it's not true. Part of the reason is that we often assume that when we talk about the voice of God and hearing God, that we're talking about words, audible words, and a voice and that we can only really hear God with our physical ears. And folks, this is not true. God is infinitely creative. So he's not limited to audible or readable words in English or Shona or in Debele. In fact, all of your senses and all of your components are wired to receive messages from God. And thank the Lord that it doesn't only depend on our ears. Because there are times when our emotions need to hear the voice of God. Because sometimes our emotions are just so churned up. You know, uh, Joe was talking about the anger that she was feeling inside of her. She was wanting patience. God needs to speak a word that's going to touch her emotions. And it might not necessarily be coming through the ear. So we can hear a message from God through our five senses. I won't list them in case I get stuck halfway through. <laughs> One of the ones that springs to mind for me is the sense of smell. We had a lady in our home group years ago who was in a, a difficult marriage, an abusive relationship. Her husband wasn't a believer. He used to smoke continuously in the house. His house, their, their house used to smell. We used to go there for home group. It didn't smell very nice. And um, the one night, she gave her life to the Lord in, in her bedroom. And she suddenly realized that her bedroom, and, and she walked through the house, the whole house was just saturated with a beautiful smell. Her husband came back from the pub 
And even he could smell it. He was like, what have you been spraying in the house? And that was just God speaking to her through her sense of smell and just saying, you know what? This is an amazing thing that you've just experienced. I love you and I love you so much that I release this beautiful perfume into your house. And then it's not just the senses, it's also the heart and the emotions. And remember that the heart is like the central processing unit. This is how the Bible conceives of the heart. The heart is like the central processing unit that takes signals from the emotions, from the will, from the mind, and it processes them. So God could speak to you in your heart, maybe through your emotions, maybe through a thought, maybe through many different ways. It's a bit like a married couple. I don't know if you've ever played that game. Uh, I think it's called Articulate, where you've got to describe what you see on a card. And it's amazing, long-standing married couples, they can talk in a language, it's almost like magic. Um, they're not necessarily even using words, but they just kind of figure it out. And that's what it's like with us and God. He, he, he speaks to us um, in a language that we can understand. And often the language that he's speaking to me, Tony wouldn't understand because God speaks to him in a different way. Tony's a different person to me. He's got different life experiences, he's got different memories, he's got different passions, he's read different books to me. So of course God's gonna speak to Tony in a different way. So remember we're talking about how, how do we hear the voice of God? And what I have to say, lastly, on this section, is that we're not gonna hear from God if we don't want to, or if we don't believe that he wants to speak to us. So whatever it is, whatever clutter you've got in your mind regarding the subject, maybe it's, oh, you know, maybe I've sinned too much, or God always speaks to Trevor, he never speaks to me. Just get rid of that clutter. And do it by meditating on what we've just talked about. God wants to talk to you. And then take the time to ask him. We, we've, had a, we've had quite a, a tough uh, life, I was going to say. <laughs> no, we've had... <laughs> <laughs> We've had quite a tough two or three weeks. And uh, last Sunday, it was just starting to get too much. You know, like, remember I talked about how the pressure reveals the cracks in the fishes? Well, it was starting to reveal cracks and fishes in me. I raised my voice to my mother-in-law, um, which is not necessarily such a good thing to do. Um, and I realized that I was, yeah, you know, I was just, and so like we, we, we launched into the week. And blow me down if, if the swarm of bees didn't pitch up at our house. And we've got a cavity underneath our bath, and most baths do, because they're sort of built in, um, which is accessed by like a little vent block from, from the outside. And so these bees had got through um, the vent block, and now they were underneath our bath, and they were setting up a hive there. I didn't realize they were setting up a hive, so I thought, oh, that's no problem, I'll, I'll sort it out. I'll just block up the, the access. So for two days, that seemed to be the solution. Um, but I didn't realize there was an entire swarm inside there. And, and they were not going to stay in there. So eventually those worker bees, they really are worker bees. <laughs> they, they ate their way through this paper. I can't believe it. And so, but now it was starting to stress me because I was remembering, um, you know, how Joe, uh, Joe Addis' um, sister died from, from bee stings. Um, and I was like, what are we going to do about this? And there's so many other things going on. My, my mother-in-law is coming to stay with us, actually, and so we're doing renovations at the house. There's dust everywhere. And this, this swarm of bees, you know, was, was like... So Gail said, no, no, she, she was obviously realized I was getting a bit stressed. No, don't worry, I'll, you know, I'll sort it out with Enoch. Enoch's our gardener. So they, they, made, um, <laughs> they made a smoky fire. 
and uh, all the bees came out. That was when we realized how big the swarm was. They all came out and they attached themselves in a big clumpy underneath the, the carport. I said, now there's this big clumpy of bees, you know. So, so that night, um, before I went to bed, uh, I was just like, I suddenly thought, why don't you ask the Lord what to do? Because already I was like, I had all my own thoughts and my own ideas, not to say that they weren't necessarily wrong. I figured out who I was going to phone to come and remove the bees the next day, but it was going to take time and effort. And, and then I suddenly thought, why don't you just ask God what, you know, what you should do? And so I had this funny thought, you know, that Jesus stilled the wind and the waves. So in other words, he had authority over the forces of nature. Um, and I'd heard years ago of this lady who sometimes would just go and have a conversation with her dog. I think her dog used to bark through the night and she'd go and chat to it and reason with it. So I thought, okay, I'm going to go out and I'm just going to chat to these bees uh, and I'm going to tell them this, look, it's not, it's not going to go well for you and us if you stay here. This is not a good place for you. It's not safe. Um, you need to go somewhere else. And then I just commanded them. The way Jesus took his authority over the wind and the waves. It's going to sound funny. <clears throat> so I just said, you, you guys need to head up onto Emerald Hill. And you need to go there in the name of Jesus. And I went to bed. And, and I genuinely, I was like, no, it's going to be fine tomorrow. It's, it's going to be okay. I woke up. I went did fat burners with Barry Thomas. Told him about it. I could tell he was a bit skeptical. <laughs> But Gail messaged me later on in the morning. He said the bees have gone, you know. And maybe a bee specialist could have told me that. He, you know, maybe he could have said, "Yeah, they're going to head up there and they'll they'll hang out there for a bit and then they'll push off." Um, but that would have taken time and effort. And I just just asked God, and and he and he told me. Maybe on another occasion he wouldn't have told me, and things would have worked out differently. But I would have missed out on on a bit of fun actually. So, um, so we've just got to take the time to lean into God, get rid of the clutter, and, and just ask him what he wants. And how does he speak? Now, um, we've obviously in this series, we've spent a lot of time talking about how God speaks to us through the Bible and how the, the Holy Spirit opens up our heart. He illuminates scripture so that it's relevant for us. Um, and there's a lot of stuff in there that's pretty cut and dried. You know, so Solomon Hughes says, nine tenths of God's will for our lives has already been made known to us. We find it in the Bible. All scripture, next slide, all scripture is God breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. This is what Selwyn Hughes says. He says, in the Bible, God has given us 66 books filled with principles and precepts. These provide us with an objective set of guidelines which we should use for, our, for direction rather than our impulses or feelings. The more we read God's word, this is good, the more we will bring our thinking in line with his thinking. The better we know the Bible, the more we will be ready to know his will. So that's the case. Don't overlook the fact that as we read the Bible, we still need to be asking for the Holy Spirit to illuminate it and make it alive to us. Because otherwise it can just be some sort of head knowledge that puffs us up and that doesn't really have a good effect on us. I remember the first night after we heard that Gail had cancer the first time, um, not the first time, when she had cancer, um, 
I was really struggling to sleep, and my, one of my favorite psalms is Psalm 84, so I've memorized it long before that. So I would just meditate on Psalm 84, and I'd, I'd start a li- with a bit of it, and then I'd drop off, and then I'd wake up and carry on meditating. And then I came to the bit where it says, the Lord God is a sun and a shield. So I started to reflect on that. I was thinking, well, what does the sun do? The sun is the source of life for the earth. So God is our provider. He provides what we need to live. And he is a shield. He protects us. So I started thinking, you know, well, if, if God is my provider, I don't need to be lying here worrying about how we're going to afford some sort of treatment or, you know, anything like that. But, you know, it's, it's one thing to know in your head, because we all know that, don't we? We all know that God is a provider and that he's a protector. But what was so amazing is as I started to reflect on that in my mind, something happened throughout my entire being where I just felt flooded with peace. And I just knew it was a gift from God. It was the voice of God whispering at a deep level that went past my ears because you know, ears just were on the surface and saying, Ian, don't worry. The Lord God is a sun and a shield. No good thing does he withhold from you whose walk is upright. And so that was just what he did. And also remember that the Bible is the standard by which we test everything. Next slide. Now the Bereans were of noble character, more noble character than the Thessalonians. For they received the message with great eagerness and examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. So God speaks to us in very unique ways, sometimes not through the Bible, but it always lines up with the Bible. And it's as we read the Bible that we get to know about the character of God and Jesus. And if we're hearing a voice and it doesn't line up with what we know about the character of Jesus, sounds like it's the wrong voice. Next main reason is through the church. The church and its leadership structure are a part of God's provision for our safety. It's impossible for us folks to misinterpret scripture or to be deceived or to hear things wrong. Um, And that's why we're in a body. And uh, you know, often when I'm trying to solve a difficult problem that's to do with the church, I just know, Ian, you're not gonna solve this by yourself. You need to get the right people around the table. We all get together, we all put our heads together, we pray, we ask for wisdom. And then suddenly as we're speaking, Tony will say something and the rest of us will be like, yes. That was the Holy Spirit speaking through Tony. So it comes through the body of Christ. Look at Ephesians 4, verses 11. It says, talking about how God has given the structure of the church different giftings, um, but what is the reason for that? It's so that we can be built up, so that we can get mature, and then the next slide, we'll no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men and their deceitful scheming. There are deceiving voices out there, but part of God's provision for our safety is that he's put us into a body as well. With an audible voice, we're just gonna flick through these. This is God speaking to Samuel. In fact, it was, it was so normal sounding that he, that he thought it was Eli. Um, calling him. This doesn't happen that often, and normally it's in circumstances which really merit it. Um, We've got friends who were trying to decide whether to come out to Zim, 
1999. You know what things were like in Zim then? Really starting to go pear-shaped. The land invasions were taking place. The war vets had been paid out. There was a whole lot of stuff going on. And they, they were just like, are we really hearing from God? Should we be going back to Zim with our children? And they were busy preparing their, their little cottage for sale. And the wife was busy painting. She was busy painting. And she just heard an audible voice. You're to go back to Zimbabwe. And so they came. It was tough for them. They had a very tough time here. Um, but they knew that they were within the will of God. So sometimes he uses an audible voice. Through prophetic words, there's evidence of that. Agabus, a prophet named Agabus, came down from Judea. Uh, coming over to us, he took Paul's belt and tied his hands and feet with it and said, the Holy Spirit says, in this way the Jews of Jerusalem will bind the owner of this belt and will hand him over to the Gentiles. You might think that that's not terribly encouraging. Prophetic words are to build up, aren't they? Just be a little bit careful about bringing a word like that to somebody. <laughs> um, but that would have encouraged Paul because he knew that God was sending him on a task and it was going to involve this happening to him. And so he knew that God hadn't been taken by surprise and that he was going to be able to get through that situation. Then through dreams and visions. There's one example there of Peter, the a vision which is normally a, a picture that you see when you're awake. Um, and then the next one, Joseph being spoken to in a dream. Now, I find that, that God quite often speaks to me um, and to people are in, in harvest through a sort of a mental picture. So let me give you an example of this. Um, years ago, around about that time when, when um, God spoke to our friend audibly, there were a lot of people leaving Zimbabwe. And whenever I heard that someone was leaving, I felt a sense of desolation that was way out of proportion to what was actually happening. It was like the world was just falling apart. Strange thing. And one day I was driving down Samora Michelle, and in those days the British High Commission used to be there, and I saw two friends of mine, a, a, wife, and, a wife and husband, queuing, and I thought, oh, they're going as well. And I, I felt, it almost felt like I was going mad. It's a strange thing to, to describe, almost like a panic attack. And I went back to the Lord and I said, Lord, this can't be right that I'm feeling this. Yes, it's sad that people are leaving the country, but it's not the end of the world, you know? Um, and so I was lying in my bed, and suddenly I had this mental picture of a little boy sitting on the back step of a house with a, a dog, and it was an Alsatian dog, and his arm around the dog. And I thought, you know, that rings a bell with me. But I just, I, I wasn't sure what it related to. And then I thought, I wonder if that was me. So a couple of days later, I went to my, to my mum and I said, you know, I had this, God gave me this picture. And she said, oh yes, that was Hero. So I said, well, tell me about it. She said, no, we had this Alsatian dog called Hero. It's a horrible dog. Um, even ended up catching some sort of social disease from, <laughs> from running around the neighborhood. <laughs> she said, but when we left Zambia and you were just a little boy, you were absolutely gutted and heartbroken. And that was you, sitting there, just crying your heart out because people were coming to take Hero. 
Uh, and she was heaving a sigh of relief. And I realized that what God was doing was he was saying, Ian, the reason why you're feeling this desolation is because there's some unresolved stuff that's to do with your upbringing, to do with having this big change when you were a little boy and you felt maybe insecure and, and unloved. Um, and so I was able to pray it through. And that was God just putting his finger on something. And I haven't ever felt that complete desolation again. Another time that this happened for me, a friend of mine was going through a very difficult situation in business, and um, it was going to involve um, a, a, a lawsuit and, and all sorts of difficult things. Um, and of course, the, the person was innocent. Um, and I was praying about it, and God gave me a mental picture of one of those siege towers. Remember the ones that the Romans would use? They'd build those big wooden siege towers. And I know that whenever those siege towers were coming up to the edge of the fort, the defenders would be shooting arrows saturated in pitch and tar to try and set the siege tower alight. So they would fry all the guys in it and they wouldn't be able to get on into the, into the fort. Um, so I was praying about that and I was like, Lord, what... What is, what is this about? The next thing I just, I just saw, a whole pile of ashes with my friend walking through the ashes, going like this, just kicking through them. And there wasn't even anything substantial enough in that to stub his toe on. And, and I just thought, yeah, okay, it's all gonna be fine. And I sent a message and I said, you know, I, I believe that God is saying, and I believe it with all my heart, that this is gonna go away, it's not gonna be a problem. And sure enough, it, it, that has been the case. So those sort of mental pictures. Um, another example, we, we heard of a family that were going down to South Africa to, to get medical treatment. It was a very frightening um, time of their life. They really were wondering if God was, was taking care of them and looking after them. As they were driving down those very windy, steep roads uh, coming into Peter Maritzburg, do you know that road? It's here, yeah? Um, it was raining and somehow another vehicle hit a puddle and this big splash of muddy water totally obscured their windscreen. So, so now they were, the, the, the driver literally couldn't, you know, husband literally couldn't see where he was going. And he was quickly you know, pulling on the windscreen wipers and it was smearing. Um, anyway, eventually it cleared and miraculously they'd made it through the bends without having had an accident. And then, a night, a night or two later, they went to a home group down on the coast, and the, the lady, they were praying, and one of the ladies there said, you know, I just, I keep getting this picture of um, a windscreen with mud smeared over it, and you can't see out of it, and I just feel that what God wants to encourage you with is that he is busy, he's at, this, he's at the steering wheel of your life, he's helping you to negotiate whatever it is that you're going through. Isn't that amazing? God gave that lady a picture of what had happened to them to reassure them. And that's, no wonder we say man cannot live but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Can you imagine the life that that experience brought to that couple knowing what they were going through? Sometimes he speaks through angels. Uh, never happened to me. At least I, I'm not aware of it. <laughs> but sometimes we entertain angels without realizing it. Um, and then lastly, by putting something into our hearts. And now the city was large and spacious, 
but there were few people in it and the houses had not yet been rebuilt. So my God, this is Nehemiah speaking, going back to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. My God put it into my heart to assemble the nobles, the officials and the common people for registration by families. How do we, how did God speak to him? Well, we don't actually know. He just put it into his heart. And God has got a myriad ways of putting things into your heart just at a time when you need it as a way of communicating to you. We've got, a, got friends in Joburg. Her name's Janice Davis. Janice and Mike Davis have got three kids. Their second um, child, Nathan, when he was born, there were a lot of problems and it was really touch and go. And so when she was pregnant with her third child, she was experiencing a lot of fear and anxiety about the, the pregnancy and the delivery and what was going to happen afterwards. She went, you know how you, with the antenatal classes, you often go to a visit of, to the hospital and a little bit of a tour of where things are going to happen. She went back there, was bringing back all of the memories. And then she just stopped and listened to the song that they were playing over the over the loudspeaker system. And it was a 363 song that she really loved. And so God can use songs to put something in our heart. And these are the words of the song. Because I believe a change is gonna come, that yesterday is over, I do. The clouds have silver linings after all. I've seen them with my own eyes. It's true, yeah, it's true. Though darkness overcomes you now, morning will break through somehow. It's all going to be all right. It's all going to be all right. Even this will pass. Tomorrow comes at last. It's all going to be all right. It's all going to be all right. It's all going to be all right. And that combination of those words with the, the, the work of the Spirit in her heart, she just knew it was all going to be all right. Good. I'm sorry, folks. We've, we've run over a little bit, but just so passionate and excited about this subject. Um, and what I'd like you to take away with it is that God wants to know you. He wants to be in a relationship with you. He wants to disclose himself to you. He wants you to disclose yourself to him. And just in the same way as we have interactions with our wives and those that we love and our children, he wants you to be having interactions with them. Um, when you've got a swarm of bees at the house, you can just say, Lord, what, what's the story here? What do you think I should do? Um, and just take the time to ask. Sometimes it may not be obvious and uh, we just keep going. But that's, you see, that whole thing of sometimes when he, maybe when he withholds it from us a little bit, it's just because he wants us to keep pressing in. And he doesn't want us to be running off on our own and doing our own thing and not listening to him. He just wants us to press in and to enjoy our relationship with him. So I'd, en I'd encourage you this week, start getting into the habit of just leaning into God. Would you like to, to, to buy your, your heads? Just going to take a moment, if, if you will. Um, if you need to go, you, you're welcome just to, to head off. But just imagine um, that you're sitting on, on the banks of the Sea of Galilee, uh, just on those grassy banks, busy listening to Jesus um, preaching from the boat as he used to. Um, and just imagine that, that you know, he's starting to come to an end and people are leaving, but you just, 
it's one thing to hear him talking from a distance, addressing a whole crowd, but you'd, you'd like to wait until he brings his, his boat into the shore and comes out and just comes across. And um, just imagine that he's done that. What is it that you, you'd like to ask him? What is it that, that he's saying to you? And remember, you can use all the equipment. Mind, ears, taste, color. Remember that um, we really experience joy when we share things with others. So take the time to share with somebody. Um, and then also just ask the Lord, um, remember that, that often these, the, what he speaks to us becomes a gift which we need to pass on to somebody else. Uh, who is it that springs to mind and what is it that Jesus wants to say to them? And then remember to follow through on that and just let them know. It's okay to make mistakes in these matters because um, we always, we always speak to people tentatively I think the Lord might have said this, just recognizing in humility that we don't get it right all the time. Um, and remember that it's about building other people up. Uh, I would be a bit wary if somebody comes up to you and says, you're going to get married next week and the name of the person is X, Y, and Z. <laughs> it can happen. <laughs> good. Father, thanks for this time. It's so good to be with you. We just thank you above all else that you want to be in a relationship, close relationship with us. We're just blown away by that. And we look forward with excitement um, to what the week holds for us because it is exciting and uh, it's wonderful to be your son or your daughter. We pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen.